Okay, all right. Hello, One Community Church. Well, I want to thank you all for joining with us this way that this is the One Community Church Coronavirus Quarantine Edition. And so thanks for joining. This message is also filmed before a live studio audience, which would also be my family who are maintaining safe social distances as we do this. So we are good. But today I want to I want to speak into our church here that this has just been an incredible week since we met together just last Sunday at the middle school where it was safe and okay to do so. And wow, in just one week's time, so much has changed to where now we are quarantined, many of us into home for the next several days. And so this last week was a, an amazing week for our, our young, young adult group, The Table. Um, we had a nice retreat. Um, God taught us a lot of great things. We had great fellowship together. We were able to make it where we went safely, get home safely, and now living in this new present reality upon our return. And so thank you for praying for that. But I also realize that right now is a huge crisis time, not only for our nation, but the world. But let's bring it down individually to every one of you that are facing a huge crisis of whether it's a health crisis of your own, you're caring or wanting to care for family members that are estranged from you and you cannot. Some of you are employers that are making very difficult decisions about your companies and about your employees. Some of you are employees that are wanting to know what's this going to look like for me going forward. Um, quite frankly, just everyone is in a spot where we don't know what's coming around the curve. We're having to make hard decisions. We're having to try to learn to operate in the present reality, not with a bunch of hypotheticals into the future. So as a church right now, what we know is we're going to um, fellowship together this way. Um, we are, obviously are not gathering together on Sunday mornings. We're not gathering in meetings and in groups until um, it is wise and safe to do so. And so we're thankful that we have a way to fellowship like this where we can get into the Word together. We certainly will pray together, though we're not physically together, but this will be a really critical time. Today I want to address a crisis. As I look into crisis of our, of our lives and whenever this happens for me facing a crisis, I like to go straight to my Bible and see a crisis taking place. And I want to look into the life of Jesus in the middle of a crisis because he is the one I'm putting my trust in, my faith in. He is my rock, my savior, my tower of refuge and strength. And so if I'm going to run to him, well, I want to see him function in crisis and know, well, if this is the way he does it, well, that's the way I want to do it. And I also can be confident he's walking with me through crisis because he has faced one. Well, the obvious significant crisis of Jesus is the last week he was on the planet. So for, from John chapter 12, which is the text I'll be teaching from today, I invite you to get out your Bible and your notebook and a pen and let's study together. But John chapter 12 is a great passage to see what does a man do or God do, Jesus do, in the last week of his life who's operating in a crisis form, but you won't really perceive he's in a crisis by the way he behaves. Jesus comes into this uh, village of Bethany where his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus uh, are located. When he arrives on that scene, that's a hostile environment, quite frankly. It's only two to three miles outside of Jerusalem. It's only a week ahead of Passover. Based on Jesus' last time he was in Bethany, um, is the time that he healed Lazarus and then raised and raised him up from the dead. And so that was obviously an incredible miracle that he resurrected a man. And so people have come from a long distance hearing all about this guy and they want to see Lazarus, but they also want to see Jesus. People have been traveling from everywhere to come into Jerusalem for the Passover week. And so 
there is a lot going on. There are people here who love Jesus dearly. There are people that are in this scene that, that hate him with passion of a thousand sons. They just can't stand him. And then there's others that aren't sure what to do with him exactly, but there's a guy here who raised from the dead, and this is all intriguing to me, so I want to see what's going on. But here's the point. Jesus facing the crisis, his purpose of coming to Bethany was to fellowship with the household of faith. And so in crisis, if we'll just all consider this, in crisis, our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ and obviously with the household of faith. But it, isn't it true that oftentimes when crisis comes, my instinct may not be to run to fellowship with Jesus, but instead to start finding means of survival and trying to find things that will satisfy the, the peace in my soul or the lack thereof. And I'll try, we'll start going in different directions as opposed to running to fellowship with the household of faith. Well, Jesus, his instinct is to run to right here and fellowship with the household of faith with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, it's interesting when he comes into here, based on, we see there's three texts that show this. John chapter 12, Mark chapter 14, and Matthew chapter 26. We'll kind of use all three of those texts looking into the same moment of time for this particular passage. What we learn in this from the book of Mark is that they enter into the house of Simon the leper. Now, Simon the leper obviously had been cured of leprosy, otherwise he would have been ostracized and they wouldn't be in his home. But so you, you learn something here with the different players that are at this table where Jesus is now located. You end up with a guy named Simon, who obviously owns the house. We're gonna see a guy named Lazarus who was raised from the dead. We're gonna see Mary and Martha and Judas, other disciples, and a whole crowd is gathered. And so as we observe this, I want you to consider yourself in this situation in the crisis moment with Jesus and how he is behaving or how he is functioning as in fellowship with the believers. So John chapter 12, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now let's stop there and come back to the consideration of Jesus coming into fellowship with this family. Of all things he could have been doing for the last final week, he comes into fellowship with this group of people. Now, how do we have fellowship with Jesus? It's crisis time, how do we fellowship? Well, we fellowship with Jesus through his word. We fellowship with Jesus when we pray and just sit down with him and talk with him in prayer. We fellowship with Jesus actually when we're ministering and serving other people because it is his life working through us and in us and therefore we're even fellowshipping with him in that. We may even be on the suffering side of this and the Bible describes us as fellowshipping with him in sufferings and so there's a host of ways that may be happening right now for any one of us. But in a crisis time, Jesus comes to fellowship with his friends. Observe the response. Jesus now shows up to fellowship and you have different ones responding different ways. Simon who owns the house swings the door open and he just welcomes everybody in. He is the hospitable one 
who, though we can't necessarily throw our doors open because of some of the, of the requirements right now and some of the ways that we um, need to not be together with social distancing, I get that for sure. But how, can we, how else could we be like Simon with hospitality in terms of, hey, my resources are your resources and my things, your things, and here, if this will help you, have at it, and sharing the things alike, that's Simon. Simon's just throwing the door open for others. Not much said about him, but we can certainly appreciate his willingness to allow all these people to now show up in his home. Well, then you see Martha is there, and she's the servant. We've seen this in other places in the Bible. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus came into the house of Mary and Martha, Martha's the one busy scurrying around, getting everything done, and she got even frustrated with Mary because Mary wasn't serving. It was like, hey, what's the deal with her? And she's just sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm running all over the house. And remember, Jesus told her, Mary has chosen the better part because she's just sitting here listening at the feet of Jesus. Well, but he's certainly not rebuking Martha here for serving. Matter of fact, serving is the right thing to do. In fact, the word connected to her service, servanthood here is the same word we derive the word deacon from. And so the manner of her serving is very valuable at this time. That's the fellowship of a family, is someone who's hospi hospitable, they just... Here, what I have, use that. You'll have the servants who are going to just serve and find ways to take burdens off of people and find ways that we can maybe help in any way, shape, or form and be a servant. Well, you also have Lazarus at this table. And you notice in verse, in verse 2, it says, They made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat with him at the table. You know, that's an incredible fact because Lazarus had been raised from the dead and now he is the one who he's experienced resurrection power and he just wants to sit and talk to Jesus. Guys, in fellowship, that is one of the most critical things we do is sitting in fellowship with Jesus and just sit at the table and talk with him. We can share with him what's going on in our lives, though he already knows. We can share the concerns of our heart, though he already knows. And obviously, Lazarus has experienced his incredible resurrection power. So coming to Jesus and having any conversation at this time, Jesus welcomes this fellowship that we can all understand that. So here's Lazarus. But the one we're going to focus on here for a moment is Mary. Because Mary, there's much said about her in this one text and a lot of details given. Because Mary is the one that says in verse 3, took a pound a very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, when we compare this text to the book of Mark, we also find out not only what this is worth, that it's, as mentioned here, it's worth 300 denarii, which is equal to a year's wage. But we also find out that this was stored according to the book of Mark 14, that it's also been this ointment, this perfume has been stored in an alabaster box. And an alabaster box would be something that would be, we think of it as maybe a very high class, expensive ceramic type figure that would be sealed. And the only way you get the contents out of it is you must break the alabaster box. Well, she breaks this thing on the floor, or she breaks it, excuse me, and then the ointment and the perfume, she now anoints the head of Jesus and all the way down to his feet. Mark makes that clear that we can see that of even letting us see head and feet. Not only that, she lets her hair down, which was not typical for a woman to do that in the presence of a man. That would be way out of bounds normally. 
But she does that because in the manner of a servant or a slave, which she's demonstrating to be, gets down on her hands and knees and washes and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair with this perfume. It's also mentioned here that this perfume fills the entire room. And this fragrant oil can be smelled by everybody in the house. And so it bears a witness and a testimony to everybody here. But here's really the issue of it. It is this incredible, lavish love that was totally impromptu. It was super generous. It was unashamed. It was sacrificial. And it was obviously very personal. This personal alabaster box to Mary, knowing the cost of it and knowing the sacrifice of it, she did not seem to think twice about breaking it and giving it to Jesus at this time. Jesus goes on to affirm that she's anointing him for what's about to happen, knowing that he's going to the cross and for his eventual burial. Jesus will mention that about this situation. Whether she understood all that or not in advance, I don't know. But the one thing we do know, when Jesus came, sat down at the table, it was instinctive and impromptu, and just this heart of love out of her was to just pour it all out for Jesus, it doesn't matter what. And as what's interesting about this is the way Jesus describes that no matter where on the planet we talk about the gospel, this is gonna be talked about regarding her. In Mark chapter 14, in fact, it says this, in Mark chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus says, Leave her alone, because there's going to be a conflict we'll talk about in a moment, but let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you, you may do them good, but me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world that this woman has done what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Wherever the gospel is preached, just think of it this way, the odor of the gospel now runs based on what Mary has done for Jesus. And so part of the ministry in the fellowship with Jesus that we have, thinking about how can I lavishly love Jesus? He's not physically here, so I can't just shower him with all my stuff, and how am I gonna do that? Well, when I wanna lavishly love Jesus, I love people the way he did. That would be lavishly loving. When I obey his words, he describes that when you obey me, that's how we demonstrate love. When I, when I follow through and actually give things to people and assist people, especially the advancement of the gospel, like we see in Philippians 4, it actually is a sweet smelling savor to the nose of God that we would give to the advancement of the gospel. And so when we watch what happens with Mary, her gift was this lavish love, but it also runs now as the odor of the gospel message. And I think one of the things that he made reference here, making this comment that, you know, you will always have the poor with you, but me you will not always have. The opportunities to serve the poor, obviously we have those all the time. That is true, and we should. There's always a right time for that. But with Jesus, he says, now, he said, but me you don't always have, and here's what happened is the lavish love that came upon from Mary was, we can think of this as the advancement even of the gospel message. And so we can physically provide, physically provide that as a blessing, and yes, we ought to always do that. But in an impromptu moment, unashamed, she poured out all she had, the best that she had 
unto Jesus. This was obviously a point of conflict. Many did not understand it. When you watch in the book of John, all, the, all of them record the same scenario happening. But in, we'll go back to John 12. And it says this, that, that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, verse 4, Simon's son who would betray him said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was, what was in and he put, took some out of it. Uh-oh. Well, the problem you have with the Judas is, and, there, and we have to be careful here, there may be a little Judas heart in all of us. Because in the time of crisis, and now the time of someone showing love lavishly like he did, there's this question being raised. The Judas heart says, well, I want to keep some of this for me and taking something that was intended for God and keeping it for myself. These would be, think of the exploiters in a crisis that take advantage. But you also have it, uh, this could be hoarders and people that instead of thinking of others, I think of self, 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 no matter what the circumstance, it's all about me first. And what the Bible describes here is Jesus knew this is Judas was a thief all along and he always kept the bag and Jesus never busted his chops over carrying the bag. But Jesus has known the whole time that he's always had one hand in that bag for himself. And we gotta be thoughtful here and mindful to the fact that there could always be a little bit of that Judas in each one of us. But there's also, and Mark lets us know that the disciples there were there as well. And the disciples were conflicted. So when Judas raised this question about, well, uh, why was it this sold and given to the poor? You would think maybe Peter, James, John, and all the gang, they would be like, hey, 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 this is Jesus. It's all about him. Let's focus on him. But they jumped in on the Judas bandwagon and said, went real pragmatic. Said, yeah, wait, we should have given this to the poor. And here's what often can happen. Even the disciples who love Jesus went real pragmatic with their thinking and instead of loving this act of worship, they weren't comfortable with it. They really just wanted pragmatic things to take place, do what seems right, do what seems practical, but that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus comes along and affirms this absolute lavish love for him. When Jesus enters into fellowship in a crisis moment, and he fellowships with each of us. We have this opportunity to like the people in this scene. We could be the Simon and open the door of hospitality and say, come on, what I have, if it will help you, here it is, use my stuff. We certainly could have the heart of a Lazarus where we have seen and been a, we bear witness of the resurrection power because if you're a born-again believer in Christ, you have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. And to just sit and talk with him at the table, and he totally understands the crisis that you're in, because in this moment, he was living the crisis too. But you also have Martha who serves, and just looking to always relieve burdens of other people, and how can I help, and how can I help, and well, there's the right place for that. That's part of a family. But there's that lavish love, that lavish love of Mary, of what would that look like for us right now, fellowshipping with Jesus, with the heart for Jesus, that same heart he has for us, worshiping him this way sacrificially. It will probably cost you something, because in this case, it cost Mary something very precious in order to love Jesus. 
if I'm going to love Jesus, I'm going to love what he loves. It will cost me something to minister to other people. It will cost me something to minister the sweet fragrance of the gospel. It will cost me something to reach out to a neighbor to make sure someone that may have a need, to make sure those needs are being met. It will cost me something to love on Jesus. The warning in this text, the warning against the heart of the Judas heart. In the time of crisis, as we start reaching into the bag and shoving it in our pockets and hope nobody's looking. It's the heart of the disciples who, man, they love Jesus, but on the flip side, this doesn't make any sense. I just want to be real practical and do everything real, real pragmatic. But then there's also the people that are just observing that are the curious. They've come because they've heard some great things about Jesus. They've also heard about this Lazarus guy, and they're just trying to figure this whole thing out and they're the ones who are smelling this sweet, sweet fragrance that just filled this whole house because of someone just pouring out lavish love. And I believe as we will study in the next chapter and the next time we're together, when Jesus will describe that greater love has no man than this, than the man who lays down his life for his friends. But also, he also goes on to say that by this, all men will know that you're my disciples when you have love one for another. And so the love of Christ will be made known to all as we show love one for another. So my encouragement to you is this, as we fellowship in a crisis with Jesus who totally gets crisis, as the family of faith, grab hold of that heart of the Simon, the hospitable, grab hold of the heart of the servant like Martha, be the one sitting at the table like Lazarus, but don't hold back the sacrificial love of Mary who just wants to lavishly love Jesus by loving the things Jesus loves. We are able to worship him, honor him, and bless him. I encourage you to get in your Bibles in the book of John chapter 12 and look at this again in detail. You'll see all kinds of things we haven't talked about. Mark chapter 14, Matthew chapter 26, and, and study these things and look into it yourself. And as we look through the next several times we're together, we're going to take the last week of Jesus and look at the significant things that take place in the time of crisis. How did he handle it? What did he do? And how can we connect to that in our time of crisis? And what we'll discover, Jesus is always serving other people. It was never about himself. He gave his life a ransom for many, and we have the privilege to do the same. Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.